Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we continue our series, Micah's Message of Hope, with a message titled, The Plans of the Lord. So let's turn in our Bibles to Micah chapter 4 as we join Dr. Newfeld now. Christmas presents us with a contrast between the way things are right now and the way they're going to be in the future. In Matthew 24, as Jesus was sitting with his disciples on the Mount of Olives, you know, that hill that descends steeply into the Kidron Valley and then rises steeply into the city of Jerusalem with the temple as its focal point, he began to speak to them about what was to come. The current temple, he said, would be torn down and a great deal of time is going to transpire. Wars would come and go, earthquakes, famines, all the upheaval that's a part and parcel of this present age, that's going to continue. But when this age ends, he said, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the rebellious tribes of the earth will mourn. The present era will come to an end, and Jesus will rule. Now that leads us to wonder whether Jesus was the first person to ever talk like that. And of course, if you know the First Testament, you're going to know that's not the case. And that brings us back to Micah's Christmas message of hope. It's a message that was given some 740 years before Christ. Now, we've briefly surveyed the first three chapters of the book, and we've observed that Micah was called a prophet to denounce the sins of his people. God would not idly watch as his law was broken and his people sinned against him. Judgment was coming. And then when we come to the end of chapter 3, the message of warning is profound. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 12. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, Is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come upon us. Therefore... Because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So that's the background of Micah's ministry. He's called upon to denounce a smug nation. They were a nation that subverted justice. The wicked went free. The innocent suffered. The nation's leaders were crooked. And they became rich by subverting justice. The priests and the prophets, that is, the religious leaders in the nation, were in it for the money. Whoever paid them, that is, the rich, they received the messages from God in their favor. And all the while, the leaders of the nation were assuring the nation that God was pleased with them all. Is not the Lord in the midst of us, they said. And for that reason, they believed the nation was secure. So we need to pause here and point out, you know, this state of affairs, in a sense, is a micro picture of the entire earth. Whether the nations of the earth or individuals, we always feel we're fine. God is for us. Our values are the ones God approves of. There is in the heart of all human beings an amazing capacity to justify ourselves and our people. We're blind, willfully blind to our own sins. God is for us, we say. Is not the Lord in the midst of us? So Micah's a prophet, and it's been said that the prophets comforted the afflicted, and they afflicted the comfortable. And to put it in other words, the prophets proclaimed God's justice for the oppressed, and they proclaimed the day of vengeance against the oppressor. That's what Micah did. Jerusalem, he proclaimed the capital city, that was going to be destroyed. Babylon will come. 
The city is going to be plowed like a farmer plows a field. It's going to be reduced to nothing, for God does not look on wickedness and do nothing. Well, that's the first three chapters of this book. And we might think that the rest of the book would be a reiteration of what's already been said, that God's just, that we've sinned, that we'd better repent, for if we don't, all this is surely going to happen. But then unexpectedly, chapter 4 is taken us in a completely unforeseen direction. And for those of you who know the First Testament prophets well, you're going to recognize that Micah 4 and Isaiah 2 are identical in many ways. And it tells me that the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Micah were colleagues. They were partners with a similar message delivered in the same way. So let's begin with Micah chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. See, suddenly and unexpectedly, the mood of Micah changes. He moves from the present day of great evil and horrible injustice to a day yet to come. And he calls that time the latter days. So that's an expression of a future era. It's an era that will surely come, an era that will be different from the world that's experienced from the time of Adam's sin unto the present moment. The latter days, so many say it in our language, the end times. Now, because Hosea was also prophesying at this same time, let's hear what he says. Hosea 3, 4, and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. Now listen, says Hosea, there will be a long time when the nation of Israel will be destroyed. No king, no temple, so forth. But in the latter days, see, same language, latter days. In those days, the nation will seek the Lord. They're going to seek David, their king. Now, the seeking of David is the messianic hope. David was told that a future king, one of his descendants, would rise up after him, and he would rule Israel and the entire world in righteousness. In the latter days, the son of David will appear, and he's going to lead Israel to a world of peace. So whether it's Hosea or Isaiah or Micah, all three of those prophets were speaking about the hope of the Messiah. The world is filled with sin now, and Israel, the chosen people, are deeply sinful, so much so that the entire nation is corrupt, from the political leaders to the religious leaders and to the rest. The nation will be judged, and Jerusalem will become a plowed field. And that would be the end of the matter were it not for the fact, says Micah, that the Messiah is coming. He's going to usher in the latter days. And so the only hope for the earth is not that the human race is going to gradually reform its ways and become more enlightened or find alternatives to violence and evil. None of that's going to work. Our only hope is the Messiah, the latter days. The Messiah will break in. And then Micah moves right from the coming of the Messiah to the final accomplishments of the Messiah. Micah says the Messiah will make the mountain of the house of the Lord to be the highest of all the mountains on the earth. I don't think he means that the mountain of Jerusalem is going to be higher than Mount Everest. That's not what he's communicating. 
You know, in the ancient world, the pagan gods were thought to be living on the mountains. And it's from that vantage point that they would gaze down on the human race. And so what Micah is communicating is that whatever religions the human race has, when the Messiah comes, their religions will be inferior, false. The Messiah will establish who is the one true God. Now, before we go on, let me make it clear from the New Testament perspective that Micah is speaking about the millennium. That's the 1,000-year reign of Christ on the earth. Micah's not describing heaven. He's describing the last era of human history before the last judgment and the new heavens and the new earth. He's describing a time when the nations of the earth actually remain, but the Messiah reigns from Jerusalem. During that time, when the gods of the nations have been humbled, the nations of the earth who remain after the Messiah comes, they will then come regularly to Jerusalem. They will go to the mountain of the house of the Lord, which means they're going to go to the temple in Jerusalem, and there they will go to learn. And then the law of God will go out from Jerusalem and inform the nations of the earth as to what righteousness actually looks like. So stop and think for a moment. The contrast between what Jerusalem was in the time of Micah and what Jerusalem would become in the latter days, in the days of the Messiah. On the one hand, in the present day, there is injustice and oppression and wickedness and lies. In the present day, God speaks of responding in justice and punishing the nation. But in the future, it's going to be different. The Messiah is coming. And that's the Christmas message. Don't you know it? It's true that the Messiah has not yet established his throne in Jerusalem, but he's already done something that leads to that conclusion. He defeated death itself. He opened the doorway to a glorious future. And so as Christians celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're not celebrating the coming of the, you know, the founding of the prophet of our religion. No, no, we're celebrating that with the coming of Jesus into this world, the present world of darkness will end and it will be replaced by the latter days. Back to the Bible Canada is just not a small team of people in an office, but a team of thousands across this nation who all share the common dream of seeing people confronted with the truth of the gospel. We're so blessed to be backed by faithful and generous supporters who do so much in making this ministry a reality. Sharon recently wrote in saying, we want to be part of what God is doing through Back to the Bible Canada, not just in Canada, but overseas. That's why we support. If you believe in the mission of this ministry, please join the cause. Your gifts amplify the sharing of the good news. Consider sending a gift today to help reach our year-end goal by December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And from our family at Back to the Bible Canada to yours, Merry Christmas. Micah's vision of the future was that when the Messiah is seated on the throne of the kingdom of David, that not only will Jerusalem change, but the whole world is going to change. Micah 4, verses 3 and 4. 
he, the Messiah, shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. What is this? It's a world governed by justice and peace. The idea of beating swords into plowshares means that the best of human technology will not be used in the advancement of military tools of death, but in tools to bring more prosperity to the human race. Look, in the present era, nations build their military because in a great many ways, they have reason to be afraid of the plans of other nations. Terrorism, the killing of civilians for political advancement, the plans to invade another nation. All of that is a part of the human family from the fall of Adam to the present day. And that's what Jesus told his disciples as they sat on the Mount of Olives. Wars, he said, and rumors of war would continue. But all that's going to change when the best of our technology is going to be used in the future to bless rather than to kill. Now notice how this all sounds, you know, like an idyllic paradise. Isaiah said of those days, Isaiah 65, verse 20, No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. See, Isaiah never says how these long lifespans come about. But a part of the answer might be Micah's vision of beating swords into plowshares. It has to do with human technology, no longer used for war, but to allow the human race to flourish. Again, that sounds idyllic, and it is. And then comes a slightly discordant note. That's Micah 4, verse 5. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Now, there are two ways to understand this verse. I mean, one way would be that given this glorious future, for that reason, we will in the present day be faithful to God no matter what the nations do. Now, there's another way of reading this text. See, it may well be that Micah has not yet finished speaking about the millennial reign of the Messiah. When the Messiah reigns from Jerusalem, when he enforces his law of righteousness and peace on the earth, nations will still persist in walking in the name of their gods. But the faithful will never desert their Messiah. That would mean that even in the days of the millennial rule of the Messiah, the fall of Adam still resides in the hearts of human beings. If that's the right way of reading Micah 4 verse 5, it then introduces a discordant note. Human sin and rebellion remains even while the Messiah rules. Well, we know that's the case from Zechariah 14, verse 17. He wrote, And if any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. That is, the nations of the earth will have to be compelled to go to Jerusalem to worship the King. Such will be the nature of those days. And so it makes Micah 4, verse 5 make sense. The faithful will say that even in the days of the millennial reign of the Messiah, 
When the nations say that they're going to continue to walk in the name of their gods, the faithful will say, ha ha, but we will walk in faithfulness to the one true God of Israel, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite a picture that Micah gives us. The latter days are coming, he says. The wicked in Jerusalem are going to face judgment. The entire nation is going to be taken into exile. But one has to consider the plans of the Lord, his long-term plans, when one considers how we should act in the present moment. Now, for the sake of brevity, I'm going to skip over an important section in chapter 4 and go directly to verses 9 and 10. Now, why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Now, verse 9 begins with the word now. Micah is taking his listeners back to the present day in which we live. Now, back to our era and the problems we're facing. Evil is everywhere. The leaders are corrupt. God is promising he's going to bring disaster on us. It was so nice to dream about the days of the Messiah, but suddenly our wonderful dreams are interrupted and our minds are taken back to now. And as a listener is taken back to the present evil age, Micah begins with a question. Why do you cry aloud? Now, the loud crying that Micah is mentioning is the cry of despair because of the present circumstances, the evil of the present age. The question of whether there's a king among them doesn't mean that Judah didn't have a king. She did but the king was ineffective. The political leaders of the day were unable to save them, either from the evil in the present day or from the disaster that was looming in the future. Eventually, they would fall prey to the Babylonians. But stop lamenting, says Micah. Stop crying aloud as if there's no hope. You're going to be rescued from the Babylonians. And we know from history that's exactly what happened. In time, as Isaiah predicted, a man named Cyrus, the Persian king, would issue a decree that would allow Israel to again go back to the promised land. But then we come to verse 11, and you'll notice the word now once again. Again, Micah's listeners are taken back to the present distress. Fix your attention once more on what's happening right now, he says. And here I'm reading verses 11 and 12. Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves for the threshing floor. Notice that in the now, there's a disparity between what the nations think they're accomplishing and the thoughts and plans of the Lord. In the present moment, the nations, or more specifically, the nations that seek to defeat and destroy Jerusalem, those nations are saying, now is the time to utterly defile her. And now here, the immediate setting is not the future Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem, but it's the Assyrian Empire. That's the most feared nation in the world at that time. They had a plan, they said. They said that they were going to reduce all the nations of the world and defeat them utterly. And here's what Micah says. They have their plans, but they don't know the plans of the Lord. And furthermore, says Micah, they don't know that God has gathered those nations in order to thresh them. That is, God is going to harvest them for a great judgment. Indeed, as we come to the end of Micah chapter 4, Micah promises that a time is coming in the future when Jerusalem, as ruler of the earth, will harvest many nations of the earth. And the point is this. 
when the Messiah comes, Israel is going to be transformed from a nation that's groaning and ready to be defiled to a nation who, under the banner of the Messiah, will bring all of the nations of the earth to obedience. So let's stop our study of Micah here and remember something of the Christmas story. Do you remember how Luke tells the story? An old priest by the name of Zechariah, along with his wife Elizabeth, were given a son, a son who would be the forerunner of the long-expected Messiah. And when the child was born, Zechariah, who had been mute for a while, suddenly finds himself able to speak, and he prophesies. And a part of his prophecy is that he declares that his son will prepare the way for the arrival of the Messiah. But another part of the prophecy is that he knows what the Messiah will do. Luke 171 that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. See, Zechariah said those words when Rome was oppressing Jerusalem. The Messiah is coming soon, he said, and when he comes, our long night of oppression is going to be over. See, we come back to the Christmas message. In the now, in the present era, in which you and I, my dear listener, where we live in that day, there is wickedness and there is oppression this very Christmas. But now the Messiah has appeared, we have evidence that the plans of God will be fulfilled and this present evil age will end. Christmas invites us to stop crying aloud in despair over evil and to enter into the thoughts and plans of God. One day, the child born in the major will return and he will bring justice and peace on the earth. Stop crying aloud in the present era, the child of the manger has paid for the sins of his people, and he has conquered the grave. And if that's true, what can stop him then from returning to sit on David's throne and judge the nations and bring peace to the earth? Consider it in the light of the plans of the Lord and be glad. Christmas has come, and therefore we know the future is bright. Thanks, John. You know, in your message, you mentioned uh, the millennial reign of Christ and the reign of Christ in the new heaven and the new earth. Can you help us understand a little bit about the difference between the two? Yeah, it's a, it's a big subject matter, and I, you know, obviously we can't deal with all of it, but it seems to me that what the scripture describes for us is that the final consummation of all things gets stepped into gradually. I mean, that's clear. Jesus came the first time, and it didn't mean that, you know, the kingdom of God was fully consummated. It was inaugurated, but not consummated. And so the next stage is his second coming. The stage after that is the millennial reign of Christ, uh, which is what Micah speaks about. See, that's what helps us make sense of this message. And then after that comes the final judgment. And then after the final judgment, Uh, comes the new heavens and the new earth. So there are a number of stages along the way. And that helps us to understand this message of Micah. Micah is speaking about that time when Jesus reigns in Jerusalem, but before the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Micah's Message of Hope, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Hi, Dr. John Newfeld here. Right away, thank you so much for listening, supporting, and praying for Back to the Bible Canada. 
This year I've been privileged to share God's Word around the world, and I've never been more convinced of the importance of the mission of Back to the Bible Canada. But I know this, I wouldn't be here and this program wouldn't exist without your help. Truly, it's such a joy to study God's Word with you. This month, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada share a goal of raising $517,000 by December 31st. Can I ask if you're able to consider a gift to support this ministry? It would mean so much, not just to us, but to so many in desperate need of truth. Call us, would you, at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And from all of us at Back to the Bible Canada, bless you as you celebrate our coming Savior.